Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Law of Attraction Radio Network. Welcome to Quantum Leap Book Club. During the next hour, beloved mind scientist Parisha and her guests from around the world will read and discuss various best-selling books with well-known authors. Every show will apply retention techniques designed to help you to absorb powerful knowledge to effectively change your life. Join us every week for a thought-provoking hour and re-listen as often as you can. You will be delighted by what you learn and you will be excited by the results. Are you ready to take the quantum leap? Here's Parisha. Greetings and welcome to the Law of Attraction Radio's Network's Quantum Leap Book Club. We're delighted to have you join us. Our host, Parisha, is currently traveling and teaching, but tonight we're going to be joined by her co-hosts, Geraldine Dalby-Ball, environmental biologist from Sydney, Australia, Joyce Mullenhauer, a doctor of naturopathy, registered nurse from Kingman, Arizona, Marianne Love, clinical psychologist, from Melbourne, Australia, Maria Jacques, who's also a psychologist from Miami, Florida, and myself, Trina Cooper, lifelong entrepreneur from Denver, Colorado. We are presently studying the book, The Holographic Universe by Michael Talbot. And we are going to be starting tonight on chapter seven, which is called time out of mind and so i believe i believe that um maria is going to be starting tonight with this and basically what we do is we read and we discuss it and then we talk about how we apply it in our daily lives in whatever manner that it can benefit us so we'll start off tonight with maria jacques welcome maria thank you it's good to be here um, this was a really um, very deep chapter for me. I, I found myself going into very um, uh, contemplative states of myself because the, the title of the chapter is called Time Out of Mind. And when he starts to begin to show us in this, in this chapter, he, he begins to talk about time and that time is not linear. And he cites several examples. I mean, I mean, the chapter, you know, one of the things that I think Michael Talbot is really good about and has been really good about in, in all of this book is that when he's presenting the concepts of the holographic 
universe. He, he, he takes a lot of time and is very diligent in citing example after example and research um, after research, um, citing just to, how to back up what he's talking about. And it, it would take just a whole hour to just talk about all the examples. So I encourage the listeners to definitely read the chapters because I found them you know, they're concepts that, you know, we've always, that I have always been exposed to, um, you know, people being able to pick up of things on the past and things like that. But it's just how he presents the information backed up by the research and the data that really makes you really stop and think even deeper. So he begins by addressing the, cog the, the concept of retrocognition, which is one of the concepts of what people, how people can pick up artifacts and uh, pick up on, you know, go back and describe events in history and, and by, in detail and how they're able to do that, which has, which then again brings us to the whole idea of line, time isn't linear, you know? So our normal view of the world doesn't allow us to perceive the ability to do this. But when we begin to, to apply the holographic model, we begin to see that it does fit. And Bohm, who is one of the, you know, the, the, the main research and scientists that uh, Michael Talbot quotes, and it's very well known in quantum physics because I've been doing some additional reading and Bohm's work comes up a lot is that Bohm says that the flow of time is the product of a constant unfolding and enfolding, which, which suggests that as the present unfolds and becomes part of the past, it doesn't cease to exist, but it simply returns to the, this cosmic storehouse of what we call the implicate order and implicate order means it's the deeper meaning or the more deeper part of reality that we're not always aware of. So if we go further with this concept then, and then you look at consciousness, then it also has its source in this deep part of reality or the implicate order that he calls. And it means that the human mind and the holographic record of the past already exist in the same domain so that speak you know kind of speaking of it as they become sort of neighbors you know so so again time isn't linear and then he you know he goes on to cite you know to where you know the really interesting examples that he cites throughout this first part of the chapter where even intense emotions um, and images are recorded that people can pick up on the, the psychics can pick up on such as you know sites of battles and sites of murders and things like that to the where they can be present in in the particular site and the intensity of the emotion is recorded in that particular moment and these individuals or psychics who are able to do this can definitely pick up on these events from the past and accurately describe them, um, which is the interesting thing, which then, and, but it also, um, you know, you know, just as tapping into the past, 
it, 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 you know, it isn't just that we can tap into the past, but we can tap into the future as well. And again, you know, he he goes on and cites a lot of studies about, you know, psychics who can predict the future and things like that. And I'm sure that we've all run across, you know, examples of people that can do that. But this is the idea of precognition. And he says it's so true that we've been so conditioned to believing and perceiving that the future is not possible to see the future that our natural precognitive abilities have gone dormant. And what he's posing and what really led me to think and kind of got me into this very kind of thinking and going it really within myself is that, you know, there, this holographic idea and applying it, there's so much that we can use in our daily lives you know, this precognition. And, you know, just to give you an example of my mother was actually, I had a personal, well, not personal experience, but my mother is a survivor of a serious car accident, airplane accident. And she had uh, fallen asleep right before, she had fallen asleep and the plane was about to land. And right before the plane landed, she uh, had a dream that the plane was going to crash. And she woke up in a fright and got really frightened and told the passenger next to her and said, oh my gosh, I dreamt that the plane was gonna crash. And the passenger said, oh, that's terrible. Why would you think that? And she got up and she went to the bathroom cause she was really kind of, you know, really startled by her dream. And she got up and went to the bathroom to kind of freshen her makeup. And as she was coming out of the bathroom, the stewardess told her, ma'am, you don't have time to go back to your seat. You need to sit down right now. And she had to sit in the last row. Well, the pilot mistook the landing strip, uh, a lagoon for the landing strip because she was flying into Colombia, Bogota, Colombia. And it was an unexperienced pilot with that particular airport. He mistook a lagoon with the lights in the lagoon for the landing strip and landed in the lagoon. The plane crashed and was split into three parts. And my mother was one of the few survivors of that airplane crash because she had a precognition and just got up and went to the bathroom and didn't make it back to her seat. And the passenger next to her was killed. You know, so, you know, my mom, my mom, that's always a story that my mom tells. And, I, and, it, and it's an eerie story because, you know, she did have that precognition and, you know, a lot of what he talks about in this, you know, we hear a lot about psychics and people and picking up on things. And what it got me thinking about is we all have these innate abilities within ourselves. And it's about awakening those abilities and, you know, beginning to work with the holograms is we choose which hologram, whether it's the future hologram of what we want to focus on to create the reality and how we we are in control and the destiny of our lives when we understand the mechanics of how this works and he really you know like I said he gives a very good example he gives excellent examples after example of the research that backs up just how we can do this so I'll let my other co-host, Joyce, continue with this wonderful chapter. 
Yes, thanks, Maria. That was good. Some of what I'm going to share definitely relates to what you've been saying here. I I chose to talk um, focus today on thoughts and the what he's sharing in this book about thoughts. Now, these are all pretty practical examples. And just about anything we pick up these days on self-discovery, there's a whole lot of focus on getting in touch with your thoughts. So I remember distinctly almost to the day that Grandmother Parashaw, 35 years ago, I was sitting in a teaching circle and she said, thoughts have weight. Well, I can still remember thinking, how could that possibly be? How could what I'm thinking actually have mass? Well, they have since then, or already by then, but wasn't as much of an open conversation. They, in the lab, have been able to weigh our thoughts. So that's phenomenal all by itself. And they're actually, a, a thought being a thing, it's composed of energetic substance, which means it weighs something. And when we're not in charge of our thoughts, this is one of the reasons we can be confused. Our lives can be haphazard. Our lives can be what we feel out of control, not going in the direction that we want them to. So it's very, very important to understand that thoughts are something of matter and that we have created that matter and we have a chance to change it. So there's amazing quotations available just about anywhere you look. Paramahansa Yoganda says, proper visualization by concentration and willpower. So you need to be focused and concentrate, and then you have to have the willpower, leads us to being able to materialize our thoughts. So we have a thought and we can make it become reality. So it's, it's very exciting when you're first introduced to this. Buddha says we are what we think. With our thoughts, we make the world. So it's not just our personal life. We're having an influence with our thoughts in a very expanded way out into the universe even. So thoughts has things composed of these subtle energy substances. And it's just really important to take time frequently. This is one, there's actually a, a piece of advice given in the section page 220 to 222 in the book. To take time frequently, so that would mean not just once a month, that would be many times a day, to think about our lives and visualize what our dreams would be, how we want them to manifest, because we have a chance to do that. So that's pretty amazing. Edgar Casey says thoughts create our destiny. So it's a huge, big, expanded future and present and even past, as we'll be discussing in the, for the next chapter, how much we can actually change the past. So that's pretty much what I want to share at the moment. And after, at later, when everybody's spoken, I have some more thoughts. I'm happy to talk a bit about Chapter 8, but I know, Maria, you're leading tonight, so I didn't want to jump in ahead of you. So I don't no, know where you've no, gone. No, we were around somewhere. 
Absolutely. I think we can move on to you, Marianne, in Chapter 8. Yeah, this was a cool chapter, actually. And by the way, Maria, I loved your story about your mum. That was pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, this was an interesting chapter. So I really advise people to pick it up and read it. But it was talking a lot about out-of-body experiences. And um, and that basically means that um, you're able to be perceptively aware, not connected to your body. So, for example, you hear stories of people floating above their body, like maybe they're having some major medical trauma, heart attack or something, and then they describe floating above their body and witnessing all the medical professionals working on their body. And if they obviously get saved, they get back in their body and then they can describe everything that they observed and witnessed while they were getting worked on. Um, and so usually this happens when you're either like, it's often spontaneous, the out-of-body experience. It happens when you're like maybe during sleep or meditation or trauma, like a big event or um, anesthesia, um, some sort of illness might um, propel people into a conscious experience out of their body. And I thought what was really interesting, he said one out of every five people will have an out-of-body experience. I just think one in every five. So that's a lot of people. And I wonder why people aren't talking about it. Like one in every five. You could be at a dinner party with 10 people and two people in their life will have an out-of-body experience. And do you know about that? Like, so I'd start asking the question amongst your friends. Um, but he gave some, he gave heaps of examples in his book. And, and one example I love was the lady who, um, she was having a heart attack. So she was one of those examples she could see people working on her body. But her mind started to float to the other floors in the hospital. And she went up to the third floor. And I'm assuming she must have been like outside the building, looking into the building because she saw a shoe um, on the window ledge and the shoe had like a hole in it. Like it was a, a cruddy old shoe. Um, and when she came back into her body, she could describe to the doctor exactly what she saw when she was having her out-of-body experience. And the doctor, as curious as the person was, decided to go look for this shoe to see if it was real, to see if she just made it up. And um, they, after a, a bit of searching, the person actually found the shoe on the ledge exactly as she described it. And when they finally retrieved the shoe, they found the shoe had a hole in it, but the doctor couldn't see it from looking inside to out. They could only, you could have only seen that the shoe had a hole in it if you were actually floating outside the building looking at the shoe from the other side. And so that doctor was pretty convinced after that that people can have an out-of-body experience. Um, and then there's, there's just lots and lots of stories about it. There was another um, guy that he spoke about um, famous person, um, Robert Monroe, who kept just spontaneously having these out-of-body experiences. And I think like most people, if you've never had it, you get very shocked and you think you're going crazy. And he decided not to go down the path of medication and not to go to a psychiatrist um, and to spend the rest of his life numbed so that he wouldn't be having these out-of-body experiences. He decided to embrace it and learn more about it and take charge of it, read books about it and find out how to navigate it. And so eventually he could, he started to really document it all and he could take charge of it. So he said he was able to go through walls. He could visit his friends anywhere. He could describe what they were wearing, what they were talking about. Um, 
and then his all his friends became believers too because he could he was so accurate like he could he wasn't there they didn't they didn't see him there physically and even if they were anywhere in the world he he could go to them so um i think once you have those experiences you become believers so lots of examples in the book and i thought what well, before i finish i think the key point is like from a holographic perspective that um location is also an illusion and so like in a hologram like say a film of an apple the entire image of the apple is in no particular spot no particular location you could take any little bit of that hologram and actually find the whole image of the apple and so this is also true for how we potentially how we live is that location and space also doesn't exist so we could be anywhere and he said that um, from the way it appears, like our consciousness, our head is the center point of location, but that's in itself an illusion. So imagine like in a dream, when you're dreaming, the person in the dream that's you also has a sense of consciousness that's in the middle of its own location, but that's a dream. That's also non-local. So he just gave some examples to help get our head around the fact that um to get out of this mindset that we're just localized in the middle of our head and that we could actually be localized anywhere. Um, we can project ourselves anywhere and have an out-of-body experience. So that's what I wanted to share. Well, thank you for sharing that, Marianne. Um, I know that when I, when I read that ex, ex, uh, example about the shoe, I was really enthralled with it. It was like, it really gives you a um, perspective of the intensity uh, the immensity of our consciousness and we can talk about that later I think we have Trina coming up to comment on the rest of this chapter yes um, chapter eight goes on to begin to talk about near-death experience as well and it's really interesting because you know it, in a way you could say that's an out-of-body experience because you're separating the consciousness is separating from the body um, but in this case, it's a little bit different. Now, I've had personal experience with this as my husband's had several near-death experiences and vividly describes himself as many of the other people do watching what's going on in the room um, that they see themselves maybe floating up above their body while someone's trying to resuscitate them or they begin to move into a different realm. Um, a lot of people describe this as going through a tunnel or going through in some other cultures, it's walking down a road, maybe going across the water. In any case, they're like moving their consciousness from their physical body into another state. Now, it's interesting, it says in the book that in 1981, 8 million Americans reported, and this was in a Gallup poll, reported that they had an experienced a near-death experience. That's a lot of people. And so each of them, there's some commonality of what comes back with this, that they sometimes experience light, they experience beauty, they hear music, they see different types of beings, um, maybe their relatives. Sometimes they're greeted by people. Now, science, real strict science or doctors say, oh, this is just a hallucination that the mind is going through and the body's shutting down and, the, and there's chemicals in the brain. But 
there's so many different um, people who report it that actually say they feel they're visiting an entirely different level of reality. And there are so many people that are convinced that the soul travels, that this is part of our experience of the, of the um, consciousness leaving the body, that science is really taking a turn and beginning to um, do quite a few, uh, I guess, experiments, or that's maybe not studies, I guess is the right word, studies into what's going on. Now, when you look at it from a holographic point of view, maybe what the people are seeing are things that their memories or their mind or their consciousness are bringing up. But many people also report that they're given a gift, uh, like a book of life, and they can see everything that's happened in their whole life before them. Some people report that they actually um, get to experience some things that they have regrets for, but others, others will say, no, this was just amazing colors, amazing rays of light, and also that they have instantaneous knowledge of things that they didn't know before, like they can ask a question. And they get the answer immediately. And it's nothing that they really knew about before. Um, they also report that there's a lack of judgment there. Um, no divine punishment. And um, they have bursts of awareness. Just clarity and things like that. So it's pretty interesting when you and, and we've kind of circled because of my husband's experiences We've kind of circled around with some of the people like Raymond Moody and um, and Elizabeth Ross with some of their work and the people who've actually put on conferences like that. And and they do talk about this or, and ask the question, are these just different vibrations and different frequencies? Is this part of the holographic universe where these things are, are there in this implicate field? They're still unfolded. And then as you move through these frequencies, they come up and you can see them. But the question is, I guess this book is making the point that these reports are very similar to the holograms, very similar to the teachings of the holographic universe. Another piece is they talk about um, the fact that all these different cultures say this is where spirit dwells. This is where um, you can move yourself consciously into these places. And one of them was Sri um, Yukatsar, who's who could actually move himself back and forth between between these realms and could gain the information or could have conversations. So this is not just something he literally could separate himself from the body and then go explore there. And I do remember reading a book called The Life and Teachings of the Masters of the Far East, which was by um, uh, Richard Spaulding, who actually went there looking for these yogis who could literally do this or could bilocate and, um, and really recognize the fact that we lived in this holographic world and that their thoughts could produce and could uh, manifest food or could move themselves in to another place and by location. And what he found was that he met these people who could literally do this. 
So there's so much to look at in this in this um, chapter. There's so much to explore about the idea of the fact that space really is only an idea or it's a projection of ourself. It's what we've learned how to recognize. And that if we can remove that idea, that we can literally move our consciousness wherever we want to out of the physical body and into these other realms or fields and frequencies and vibrations to experience so much more. So that's what I wanted to share with this chapter. Very good. It was definitely a jam-packed chapter for sure and definitely brings up a lot of questions about exactly what we're capable of doing. Um, so let's go on to, I believe, chapter nine, and we have Geraldine in Australia that is going to be co covering that. And I'd love to start it off in the Australian uh, start, which is acknowledging the traditional peoples of this land who the many peoples who refer to a concept called the dream time. And indeed, this chapter is called Return to the Dream Time. And it opens in a beautiful way that says um, humans don't know why they exist. They're the only beings that don't know why they exist. And I recall Grandmother Parisha so frequently saying, what do little dogs grow up to be? You know, puppies grow up to be dogs. The little crows grow up to be crow. And, but what do, the, what do the children of God grow up to be? And that really came strong when I, I read this beginning that said, we've, it said actually we've lost it, which indicates at some time we knew it. That if we're asking those questions, we don't know why we exist. It also says we're not necessarily using that wonderful knowledge that the spirit has put in each one of us. Now, whether spirit is a particular religion to you, whether it is this field of plasma of electrons and ultimate potential, whether it is that every cell in our body brings the accumulation of all who've gone before us, because we're also talking in this chapter about uh, and previous ones about reincarnation. So what it's saying is this idea of the holographic universe is not new. It's just new in terms of being explained through science. So it's in so many traditions. And again, read this chapter, chapter nine, if you've got the book, and have a look at how many different, uh, I won't just say religions, but whole cultural ways of being that have an understanding of what we're calling now the scientific side of a holographic universe. What is it that we're saying when we've got light waves that are interacting with each other that are creating a form? Uh, and there's those terms, again, that we've seen throughout the book, implicit and explicit. So explicit, it's there. You can really see it, the physical form. But implicit, if we think of that word implied, you know, we imply something, we imply an idea. We may not be completely upfront with it, but we have implied it. So whether it be Buddhism, whether it be Hinduism, whether it be, um, as they also talk about the Dogon people in Africa, there's so much continuity of the story that we're looking at this folding and unfolding we're looking at the oneness that has implied everything and then it actually unfolds and there's something particular so to take that concept then and apply it to ourselves that this physical form that we have 
is unfolded. It's physically present now, but it's always potentially folding back into and does all the time fold back into the oneness. So whether we're conscious of it or not, there's that idea when we know that the subatomic particles are either physical or they're energy as a wave, they're physical or they're energy. So on the tiniest level of what we perceive as our physical self, we're popping in and out. It's just that there's enough of them being present at any one time that we still hold a physical form. That idea of implicit, so the implied, and the explicit, the real thing that we're imagining and believing that we're seeing in front of us, is also the void and the non-void. So again, in so many traditions, we hear the void, the no thing, the complete potential where anything can come from, and then the non-void, the stuff. So again, and and in Buddhism, they shared uh, by one of the more famous Buddhists called Milarepa, where he says that it's our uh, the influence that we've had by the external environment can cloud that inner consciousness and the inner consciousness is the one that knows we are this evolving, we are this implicit and explicit, we are this potentially anything and we are this specific thing and so is everything else around us. So that was that in this end chapter, that is such a common theme. In addition to that, just to, to wrap up this part, it moves to the concept of needing to restructure science. As we said, this is the first time science is looking at the holographic universe and really presenting it. It's completely there in so many cultures for eons. That's you know, a really long time. And they say, what do they, why do they think that it hasn't been restructured already? And when we're talking about restructuring, it's accepting the psychic and so-called psychic and spiritual phenomena and seeing that there is a scientific basis for it. And knowing that, okay, across the ages, across the cultures, there's so many examples of this. And what it came down to is this idea of fear of ridicule, fear of ridicule. And so I look in my own life, when have I not put things forward because I've been afraid of the ridicule of it? It really is the time for more people to step up. And if if you have a fear of someone thinking something about you don't like, to say it anyway. Say it in a way that's as uh, palatable as possible to the listener and not to be offensive, find out where someone's at, build a nice gradient scale through the information. And that's a key reason for these book calls, building those bridges. So the multiple examples in this book that's given us leads us to this end question of will science accept it? And the scientists in here say, well, many of us already have accepted it. And there's this thrust now, they use the word thrust, which is really strong, a thrust towards higher consciousness. And that concept that right now we're at a choice where we can look more to the psychic and so-called spiritual phenomena. We can look at the science behind that. We can look at the subatomic particles and how they move in and out. And through this learning, we are, as they quoted the Uh, Indigenous people of Australia, Aboriginal people, learning how to survive infinity. And I'll leave the review of Chapter 9 with that lovely concept of learning how to survive infinity. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's a beautiful way to end this chapter and actually the book with um, those thoughts 
And I think that that the thought that has always kind of been in my mind throughout this book is what you were referring to that, you know, this concept of the holographic new universe isn't new. You know, it's been around for, you know, centuries in many indigenous cultures. Um, it's just, you know, we haven't been uh, trained or we haven't been conditioned to see the universe in these ways. And for me, that's been the real um, gift from reading this book and the journey in challenging me and, and thinking outside of the box. And, you know, it's when you said, will science accept it? You know, it's kind of like, I feel like they have no choice. It's like the research is really the quantum physics, the, the evidence is beyond like uh, what, what, how can they say it does not exist uh, are some of my thoughts as we kind of come to the end of this, this book and what that this journey has been. Anybody else have any other thoughts that they want to share final thoughts or feelings or on this journey of this book? I would like to. Uh, one of the emphasis that is made in these last few chapters is about asking questions. And I was just enthralled with their description of the near-death experiences and how the life review happened spontaneously that there wasn't a time element because time didn't exist in this experience of being out of your body. So it intrigued me to think that the person experiencing this near-death experience out of their body would entertain all kinds of questions and instantaneously an answer would come without any judgment. And I think, Maria, you touched on that when you were describing. So I think this is really, really, really important. And Grandmother Parisha definitely demonstrates that anytime anyone is in a circle with her, she, she teaches and then she asks for questions because she tells us over and over again, unless you have some questions, you don't even have the openness in your mind to think differently. And this book, there's a, especially in these chapters, there was a lot of question marks. They used words like apparent because a lot of this is experienced personally and proven through experience. But in the lab, they still can't put A plus B equals C. So an open mind is great. I think we're living at a time when there is a whole lot more openness in people's minds. And I don't think any one of us needs to hesitate to bring up these topics. If someone's not interested, they'll let you know very quickly. But they could be like I was years ago when I first heard about reincarnation. And my friend and I just chatted and chatted and chatted. There wasn't much on the internet at, or even on out of books at that time, because that was probably 50 years ago. But we were intrigued. Well, if, if you even can stimulate some intrigue in people's minds so that it expands their thinking. We've accomplished a lot. Yes, absolutely. That's very, thank you for, so much for sharing that, Joyce. Anybody else? Yeah, this is Trina. Um, another piece that was brought out in the chapter seven, I believe, about time out of mind, um, talked about being precognitive. 
and talked about dreams and the things that come through in dreams. And I know one of the reasons I really got interested in exploring a lot of this is because I would literally have dreams that would happen. And so I found it really interesting because some people, I know for me, when I would have a dream and then I was very aware of the fact that, wait a minute, what's going on around me right now is something that I dreamt about and I know what somebody's going to say and I know what they're going to do next. Um, And how am I supposed to react with this? Because I did have some situations where I knew it could play out to a not very favorable, um, a favorable result. And I had to make a choice in the moment Do I just step back and allow what's going on? Or was this an opportunity for me to be able to make a choice to make something better? And so I know in the book, it said, you know, a lot of people get intuitive hits or, you know, they they feel like um, something could happen. And so they do something about it and they go on pure faith. Um, In other times, you can literally see it playing out and you get to make a choice. But that's one of the amazing things with this is that um, our consciousness does have that ability to go to the past, go to the future. Um, It can show up as just a quick thought, a quick feeling, or it can show up in a dream. And it's really up to us to begin to understand and explore what do we do with these these things? Because these are all innate abilities that we have as human beings. And it's something that I would encourage all the listeners to go out and explore what what avenues, what things they've experienced and, um, you know, what can they do to make the world a better place with the gifts that they're given? Wow, very powerful, very powerful sharing. Thank you for, for sharing that. Anybody else? Yeah, I was, um, I'm really enjoying this idea that um, we're way bigger and beyond the body like when you think Mm -hmm. about this concept of dying which is most people's greatest fear I reckon a lot of our fears come back fundamentally to the idea of dying um then to know that we exist beyond the physical body and there's all these examples of people who had could describe leaving their body and coming back to it that we still are in a consciousness that exists that this is just a transition that um, it's not a fundamental it's over and I think when I counsel people on death and loss the ones that believe in the ongoing nature of the soul I feel do a lot better in terms of um, healing and grieving than the one than my clients that think it's so final like it's almost I, even the ones that think it's final are almost feel bad for themselves because they know if they believed if that it was that we were more ongoing that they would have an easier time but they just don't believe so it's not like you can make them believe like not my job to make them believe but you know sort of we're bound by the limits of our own perception so I liked one of these stories you guys can read it it's on page 242 but it was about a lady who who left her body like so she was she was dying dead and um she remembers going through like a tunnel approaching a round of light and then she while she was in the tunnel she saw a friend coming back like I don't know she met a friend in the tunnel and they telepathically communicated and the friend was like ah I'm being sent back and um 
And then she was obviously sent back too because she came back into a body and was conscious. And she found out that exactly the same time she was leaving the body and dying, so was her friend had had a cardiac arrest as well, and they both survived. So I thought, like, how much evidence do we need to, to realise that we are more than just this body? Yes, absolutely. I kind of coincide with what you're saying, because that's exactly my thoughts on this is, is that, you know, we're much more than this body, you know, we only focus on I think it's what is it that 0.0001% of, you know, what we really are, we're when we're really 0.9999, whatever it is, really energy. And it kind of sums it up on, you know, on page 212, because I really put like an in big quote, you know, kind of the one phrase where, where, where he says, choosing one holographic future over another is essentially the same as creating the future. And what stood out for me with that statement was, you know, and it's a lot of what I think he tries to the point, the underlying point is it puts us in the driver's seats, in the driver's seat of our lives. I know for most part of my life, I think that I was in the back seat, kind of feeling like, you know, you're, you know, somebody else is the driver here. And, you know, you're kind of at the whim of circumstances of life and time and, and whatever. And, that statement and looking at the universe and looking at myself beyond just being this body really has begun to put me back in the driver's seat. And that for me personally has been a really empowering um, place to come to uh, throughout many of the studies that we've been reading uh, through this book club but in really beginning to integrate and, and, and understand more of what, you know, this, how our universe really functions much more than we were ever taught. So anybody else, any final thoughts? Yes, I have one that leads you know, from what you were saying to there, Maria, that there is, there is the finding out about how the universe works, whether someone wants to be, spiritual or even admit that and I've discussed it with others who've said oh well people like to conjure up that as an idea so they can feel better about it however when you keep going into it there is so much scientific evidence for the holographic universe and to the point where we look at how modern computing is is moving ahead they're looking at creating information based on a holographic principle so interfering light waves then being used to embed that particular piece of information into a very small space. And so the, the old idea would be that we need to make bigger computers if we want more power. But if we look at science, they're absolutely going to what they call quantum computing and using holographic techniques. So if the plain science is doing that, if the business people are doing that, there has got to be something to it. And right now I'm at a business conference and it's a three-day conference. And I must say the conversations are very much along these lines that this is normal, even in the conversations as you know, Chapter 9 was touching upon, how normalised now can be near-death experience, how normalised also are conversations of, of UFOs. And I must say this book was written decades ago. And I do know that 
again, it's a business conference, yet people are openly discussing, you know, the recent disclosures of, of uh, interplanetary visitations and that sort of thing. What used to be this idea of what people commonly class woo-woo um, <laughs> is certainly shifted. And for those who know it makes a difference in their life, as I said, those who are actually making it at the forefront of science and technology and future creations, the holographic universe and the holographic principles are absolutely inceded in people's minds and abilities. Wow, that's amazing to hear. I'm glad that you, I mean, hearing from you coming that you're at a business conference and that you're actually hearing people talk about this, that really, that really speaks a lot about how we're moving as, as, a, as humanity, as a species, that we're opening up more to this, to this possibility and it really opens up if if more conversations on a business just at a business conference are happening I mean just just think of the implications of that what what can we do as a human race what can we do as you know as as you know you know globally in terms of peace in terms of all the issues that we face so that's that's amazing I'm really happy to hear that being that I don't attend business conferences, I would attend psychological conferences being a psychologist, and it would be normal to probably hear some of that in a psychological conference. So that's really awesome. Any final thoughts on our on our amazing book? A, a quick addition to that is that the, each one of the listeners, each one of us who who takes the interest to grasp even a sentence as each of us do it we make it that much easier for everybody else so great appreciation to all the listeners as well for taking the focus to grasp any part of this and use it in your day because it really does make a difference to the field as we keep talking about the the implicit oh awesome awesome ending Geraldine thank you very much and to add to that, because I think that's just so important what Geraldine has just shared, I hope that our listeners have understood from the way we as co-hosts and how Grandmother Parashaw has addressed this, that there are lots of questions that are worth asking. And in order to explore this whole topic, it's important not to say, well, I don't understand that, I've never thought of it before and put it aside. That's the time to start asking questions and expand your consciousness, and then we can affect many, many people and lives. Yeah, I had something I wanted to add to this is Trina again. Um, this book for me, like I'd always heard people speak about our reality is actually an illusion. And I could never quite grasp that. But then learning about the hologram, it made it made so much more sense. And if the if the listeners can get their head around the first two chapters and really dive into it, I think that's where we had some challenges in the beginning. Um, but there's so many little nuggets in this book. And one of the things I really thought about in it and things being a, a, um, a hologram was the fact that everything's enfolded in this field. So what is it that we can bring out? And that if they're brought forward by a thought or an emotion, 
um, what, how much power does it really give us? And what exactly, I mean, a hologram is a thing, but it's an illusion at the same time. So it kind of explained a little bit more to me about the physical reality that we see things that we think are tangible, but at the same time, they're really kind of an illusion. So that helped me get my head a little bit around that statement that our reality is actually an illusion. But when we go back to this enfolded field, and if our consciousness is what brings a manifestation forward, unfolds it out of this field, that brought me so many more questions because one of them was who actually brought forward my physical being or my body into reality or who thought me up. And it took me into a whole place of being this extension of a greater intelligence that was literally thinking me up and, and was, and was my consciousness part of this. And to some extent, yes, but those were questions that were coming forward. And then just thinking about the fact that if our thoughts create this reality, everything around us, and we're doing it consciously and unconsciously, probably more unconsciously, we're really not aware of the fact we're doing it. How powerful are we when we actually become aware and we learn how to create it, when we do it consciously all the time? And how powerful can I be or how powerful can you be if you're aware of what you're creating and you make those choices and bring them forward into the world? So those are just some of the things that came up for me with this book, The Holographic Universe. And I still encourage everybody, go out and get it and read it because it'll expand your world beyond what you can imagine. It certainly will. So if we have no other uh, comments or final thoughts, then perhaps we can come to a close on this wonderful book. And as usual with, um, with Quantum Leap Book Club on Law of Attraction Radio Network, we're always exploring new books, new fun things, new ways to look at the world and um, like we said before, we want to talk about it and be able to apply it in our daily lives in whatever manner it can benefit. So ask your ask yourself the questions and bring it bring things forward and um, go out and explore in the world. So at this point in time, it's about time to close. And so it's time for us to conclude our studies on this wonderful book, The Holographic Universe. And we thank all of you for sharing your time and energy with us because you matter and you count and you always make a difference. So we look forward to you being with us again next week as we make a great that leap into greater consciousness. So have a really powerful week and allow your light to shine and always all good things to you. OCO. Thank you for listening to Quantum Leap Book Club. For more information where you can contact us, go to LOARadioNetwork.com. 
forward slash quantum hyphen leap. Have a great week.